0: and welcome to the first episode of the Valley Tales podcast. I am Gina Mizell, creator of the Valley Tales newsletter, providing continued in-depth coverage of the Phoenix Suns. I am a reporter, I'm a writer, and now a podcast host. If you've been asking for a Suns podcast from yours truly, you are finally getting it, and the timing could not be more perfect with the Suns continuing their season finally after a four-month hiatus in Orlando, in the Disney World bubble as part of the NBA's official restart. And to kick us all off, we have a terrific guest, Tom Leander, Suns broadcaster, is here to break it all down. We look back at the three scrimmages that the Suns just completed, look ahead to what's in store in these eight seeding games. Can the Suns make a legitimate push for that eighth seed? And even look ahead to the offseason and some decisions that this front office is going to make as they continue to build this roster. And then the conversation kind of veers in a different direction that I really appreciated. As a lot of you know, Tom's daughter Lauren has really become a public face and voice of the healthcare workers during this coronavirus pandemic. She was, of course, part of the iconic photo, the subject of the iconic photo of her silently standing her ground while protesters were at the state capitol during the stay at home order a few months ago. And again, she's just continued to use her voice on a very public platform. She's become a national person that—that that is just a voice for the healthcare force during this really scary and chaotic and sad time in our society. And I particularly appreciated this conversation because I mentioned this in the interview, but my younger brother is about to graduate from physician assistant school, from PA school. And so I am about to become a family member of somebody who is going to be potentially on the front lines of all of this, or at least is is in this field and is part of the, the force of heroes who are fighting for all of us and taking care of us and trying to keep us all as safe and healthy as possible during this pandemic. So Tom was really heartfelt, was very honest and very thoughtful, I thought, on just what it's been like watching his daughter sort of rise to this level and use her voice what it's been like to not see her in person, really, during this whole thing while she's been um, putting herself on the line and her colleagues are been putting themselves on the line. And it was just a really great re- way to wrap up this interview. So can't wait for you guys to hear it. And I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you to everybody who has supported me with this Valley Tales endeavor. Like I said in one of my newsletters a couple days ago, it's been oddly therapeutic to get back to writing and reporting regularly um, after a pretty, it's been a rough couple of months, or just a strange and challenging couple of months, I guess I could say, so. But the silver lining and a thing that I've really taken from this is your support, your continued readership, your social media banter, All of that has been incredibly humbling and incredibly gratifying. And so thank you, thank you, thank you so much for your support. And I'm so thrilled to be continuing to bring you the best coverage I possibly can as the Suns begin this restart and this podcast is certainly part of that so please tell your friends if they are Suns fans if they care about the NBA if they care about good sports writing please share on social media do anything you can to help spread the word because this is very much a grassroots one woman operation at the moment so any little bit helps and again I'm so so appreciative of all of you and can't wait to see actual real quote unquote NBA basketball here from the Disney World bubble starting for the Suns on Friday afternoon so without further ado here is my interview with Tom Leander I'm so thrilled to welcome in our first guest on the Valley Tales podcast the one and only Tom Leander Tom how are you today
1: I still think you have the wrong Tom, Gina, but I am doing great. Thank you so much. I swear you should have probably tried to get the, uh, the mullet head, Tom Chambers, but I appreciate more than you know, being your first guest.
0: Yeah, well, when you asked me yesterday, you were like, Are you sure you have the right Tom? I was like, No, I want the non mullet Tom. I can't (laughs) handle that at this point. It's too early in the restart to go with that, but it's it's
1: a podcast. This is not even, we're not even on video. It wouldn't even, you wouldn't even have to look at the mullet. It's
0: true, but I appreciate the grief that you guys have been giving him constantly during (laughs) the scrimmage broadcast. It's been fun to see that banter. (laughs)
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, well, that leads perfectly into my first question as far as, um, just the the restart, the scrimmages, getting back to somewhat normalcy. I mean, probably closer to normal than we've been in months, but just how has it been for you just getting back to um, being on the desk, doing the pregame, and postgame show, halftime show, and actually seeing actual Suns basketball things happening on the floor?
1: Yeah, it's uh, just what the doctor ordered, at least for me in my life. And I think Pretty much the same for all my coworkers and TC and Eddie and K Ray and Tim Kempton and Al McCoy. I mean, we're all in the same building spread out in little different areas. Uh, but uh, our broadcast director, Dan Siegman has done a fantastic job making this happen. They parked a production truck outside of the old son's athletic club, which has now become the transformation center. So they're running all the lines into that building. We've got our desk. We've got you K know, Ray and Eddie are down the hallway in their closet. And then up the stairs are, Tim Kempton and Al McCoy. So it's been wonderful seeing them. I mean, it's obviously still bizarre, everybody wearing masks and we're trying to talk to each other through the masks. So nobody understands what they're saying, but once the broadcast starts, the masks come off, then they go back on and you know, you still everybody's going through the same protocol. And it's just like the vacation I went to in Telluride a couple of weeks ago, you're in this beautiful, Vacation town, and everybody's wearing masks and trying to avoid each other and sidestepping each other. Nobody wants to talk to each other, yeah. so I, there's there's no escaping it. Even in those most normal moments of doing a broadcast, you're still surrounded by the reminders.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask you if there were any certain protocols, but it, it sounds like as soon as the the you're not on camera, that the mask is is going on. Is that pretty much how it how it's been?
1: Yes, and I have to give a lot of credit to Patsy Elmer. So Patsy has been the seamstress for the Suns. She stitches all the names on the back of the uniforms. And we told the story the other day, she actually stitched chambers on TC's first jersey when he signed with the Suns in what, 1988, I think. So she's been around forever and she's made these incredible customized face masks out of old uniforms, out of old sweatpants and jerseys and G League uniforms, Suns uniforms. So they're really sweet and everybody was so excited. She gave me a whole bag full of masks to hand out to to everybody there in the office, in the transformation center. So everybody was excited to put those on.
0: How cool. I mean, what a great way to continue to use your skills as far as we all, we all need masks right now. So that's pretty awesome.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: So I will say anything with the caveat of it's only scrimmages. It's only the beginning of, of this restart to the Suns season. Yes,
1: but Mikhail Bridges is an NBA all-star.
0: <laughs> exactly. That's why I, I was going to maybe not lead directly into Bridges, but just what have your biggest takeaways been so far in, in these three games leading up to Friday's seating game opener against Washington. If you had to pinpoint a couple of things and then maybe we'll dive into those topics more in depth, but just what have been your biggest takeaways in, in watching this team back on the floor for the first time since March?
1: Well, first of all, kind of the hunger and desire that Monty has still instilled in these guys. I mean, they're coming out playing hard. Um, they're way more organized and crisp than I would have thought they were. Uh, so I really like that. And I'm not surprised. I mean, Monty basically, that was his mantra from the beginning. Hey, while we're they're in Orlando. Let's go kick some butt. And he just has the best attitude. And you know, there's no more shutting players down. I mean, we got, all got tired of that. So it's like, hey, we're all in. So you show up, we're going to play hard. We're going to take names. We're going to see what happens. It's a long shot to make the playoffs. Uh, but I've been impressed with the focus of the team. Uh, I just mentioned Mikel Bridges. I mean, I, you, you can't talk about the first three scrimmages without talking about Mikel and I mean it floaters for goodness sake his first shot in the game against yeah. Toronto he goes into the lane I mean this beautiful floater hits nothing but net I've never seen that before. And now we've seen a couple like reverse layups where he's hanging in the air going with the left hand off the glass and we knew he could shoot threes and defensively blocking shots I mean his block of Jason Tatum. In uh, the second scrimmage, where he's falling sideways and still swats it and then blocks in his canter from behind. And he told us the other day, too, he's just the first thing he looks at in the box score is how many steals he has. Mm-hmm. And he feels like a lot of times he's robbed that he doesn't get enough steals. So, I mean, his defensive skill set has always been there. And now to see his offense, I mean, and to do it three consecutive games, it's one thing, you know, we saw him break out. He had a really good game against Boston in the regular season. So he'd score 26 and then he'd go back to scoring six. Because he's just not he's not going out there hunting for shots now, I mean Ricky Rubio after the first couple of scrimmages is like, no, Mikel, we expect more of you, Monty. we expect more they are pushing Mikel bridges to the brink of stardom right now I mean if if Mikel keeps this up the way that he's a dual threat on this team, I mean he's going to push Devin Booker for best player on this squad. I mean if again this it's a reach right now, and Booker's by far the star of this team, but if this trajectory continues for mikel and I had a great conversation with one of the analytics employees a couple years ago, and um, he's no longer with the team. The last thing he said to me, Mikel Bridges is my favorite player. You guys all need to appreciate him more than you do. Broadcasters, fans, that's the last thing. He goes, that's all I'm going to say. Come back to me in three or four years and remember exactly what I said. So I called him the other day. I'm like, dude, it's happening. You know, so that was uh, that's number two. Um, and then number three, I think I still want to see DeAndre Hayton do more. Um, mm-hmm. I love his attitude. We talked to him the other day. He seems to say all the right things and then he goes out on the court and shows flashes, but we need to see that sustained anger, drive, fire. Um, Cause he is so dang talented. I don't know if you saw that breakdown. I think it was Mike Schmitz yes, did a breakdown with him, man, that was fantastic. And I, I have to remind myself, how incredibly gifted he is and how well he's played. I mean, I went back on his numbers in February, two games with 19 rebounds, two games with 17 rebounds. So, you know, I, gosh, I want to slap myself sometimes for expecting more of him, but you know, he puts it on himself too. So as he went into the bubble, he talks about being dominating Mm -hmm. and you know, everybody talks about getting to the free throw line more and the, the two, three pointers in the first two games are great, but for the Suns to really achieve greatness down the road, They need him to become a monster.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think you echo just a lot of, DeAndre Ayton isn't necessarily polarizing, but there's definitely like the segment of, I feel like readers or the fans that are, are constantly asking for more, like you said, and don't always look at the bigger picture. And then there are, there's people that see the bigger picture and I'm not saying either is right or wrong because i think having high expectations for a number one pick is totally reasonable but yeah i think Aiton is even though bridges has played fantastically these in these three scrimmages deandre ayton is still the player that i'm most intrigued to see how he does in these eight games just because his season was so bizarre even before COVID halted the season and now we're gonna get a chance to see him go against some good big men the good competition and yeah, seeing if in this weird restart that he can sort of establish some consistency here before heading into, the, I guess, the real offseason. And then what I think is going to be a really important year three for him.
1: And there's been that, to me, realistic comparison to David Robinson. And I, I compare him to David Robinson, too, athletically, but also kind of personality-wise. David Robinson wasn't like mean, tough guy, shoving people around. I mean, he used his athleticism to be one of the top centers in the NBA. So you don't have to be a brute, right? I mean, he doesn't have to start knocking guys in the forehead with an elbow. Um, But I think he can be that kind of an agile seven-footer that David Robinson was. I mean, you watch DeAndre run down the floor. I mean, and you, you forget how big he is until you stand next to him and how wide sculpted he is. So he just has a lot of similar characteristics, I think. And that, that's just such a good benchmark, I think, for who he could become.
0: Yeah. To go back to Bridges for a second, too, I mean, I think, I think sometimes we need to be more um, just putting him, when we talk about the young core of this team, fans or myself or anybody, just automatically goes to Booker and Eaton, And I think that's correct. Those are the two cornerstones. But when you talk about the young core... I think Mikael Bridges is showing that he is in that camp. When you talk about what this team is building towards that Bridges should be I- included in that perhaps right next to the two cornerstones, the two, I guess, franchise players that this team already has.
1: Yeah. Because the third guy is Kelly Oubre Jr. Right. I mean, if you're talking about the Valley boys and you have the three head shot up there, it's Kelly's usually that third player. So Mikhail is obviously nudging himself into that conversation, into that picture, into that window of being one of the big three. And, you know, I love Kelly too. Um, I don't know if there's frustration right now for him not being out there for the team, not having him out there. Um, because it sounds like physically he's even said he feels good. He just needs to be mentally and spiritually a hundred percent. And uh, you know, when everybody else is buying in and they're in Orlando in the bubble and, you know, Aaron Baines, flies in after having COVID and and Ricky and all the rest. I mean, you want to make sure that everybody's on that train on the Herman Edwards train, right. Or the uh, Monty Williams train. So like I said, I mean, Kelly is one of my favorite players just because he is just such a unique personality. Mm -hmm. Um, I love anything that's good for television and good for ratings because then people are watching and he is great for ratings. I mean, there's just, I don't, I can't remember another player that just, you know, facially and just, um, just his mannerisms on the court. I mean, I remember Gerald Green was probably the last Suns player where he was so magnetic on the court. You know, with how he played and just his personality and um, fearlessness. And, and that's that's Kelly. So I'm excited to see him come back at some point. I really hope he does play in Orlando.
0: Yeah, and I guess with that praise for Bridges, I'm not cer- certainly not trying to discount Kelly Oubre and what he's brought to this team as well. It's just you can you can sort of see the young core sort of taking shape as far as the potential of what this group has and with that said besides Aiton's performance in these eight games just what else intrigues you about how this is going to unfold it might be similar to what you said about what you've seen already in the scrimmages but just uh, we, we all know it's a long shot for the Suns to make that push for that final playoff spot to force a play in tournament. But so if it's just these eight games, like what are you most intrigued by as far as player development schematically um, just overall play? Like what most intrigues you about what we're about to see over these next few weeks?
1: I was definitely intrigued by the addition of Cameron Payne. And after his first game, Tom Chambers and I are looking at each other going, well, found our backup point guard. And then (laughs) the last two scrimmages, not so much. Definitely had his struggle. So we're, I mean, anybody who's trying to cling on to that one player who's going to forge ahead. And as in Monty Williams words, seize that backup position uh, behind Ricky Rubio. So still trying to figure out who that might be. Maybe it's not somebody that's on the roster right now. I like Javon Carter a lot too. I'm not sure if he's really a point guard. I like him just as a bulldog out there making things happen. Elliot Kobo, I keep waiting for that consistency to happen. And he shows flashes and I, just, a, another great kid, um, good skills, but, you know, just again, hasn't done it consistently. So I'm tr- trying to figure out down the road, Ty Jerome, obviously um, athletically has really struggled out there on the NBA court right now. And I keep uh, defending him when I'm, you know, when we're watching games, I'm like, just give him time, give him time. I mean, Steve Nash wasn't a great athlete jumping out of the gym, but he was really smart. And then you remind yourself now, Steve Nash actually was a really good athlete. Like when you looked at him and his balance and his, his speed and quickness and all the rest. So, um, you know, I'm not sure where tied Jerome fits right now with this team. So outside of that, I'm really intrigued by Aaron Baines. That's probably the first guy that comes to mind. Is he a part of the future? Um, I asked him that in, in an interview the other day. Okay. You know, he really enjoys it here in Phoenix and uh, has a lot of belief and faith in James Jones and Monty Williams. And um, you know, obviously he's going to wait to see what teams throw at him because this is going to be probably his last big contract. Yes. So if you're a Suns team, you know, in the middle of the pack right now, you know, how much money are you willing to give Aaron Baines versus a contending team where Aaron could push you over the top in the next two or three years? Um, and you know, I really like Dario Sharitz too. I'm a big fan of his. But in the long run, do the Suns need to get more athletic at that power forward position? You know, I think they. I think they do. I think Dario would be a really great uh, player off the bench for the team. Um, again, this is if your goal is to compete for a championship. I mean, you have to find those areas, um, and I'm not going to say of weakness, but where you can improve. And that doesn't mean you have to get rid of a guy, um, but you can certainly add. Um, athleticism, I think in the front court uh, would be helpful. Um, So those are really probably a point guard. And then the future of Sharj and Baines are two of the things that I'm kind of watching to see how this plays out. I don't, I don't know if you're really going to get an answer. I mean, even if Aaron Baines goes back to scoring 37 points and knocking down nine threes in a game, if that's really going to matter, you know, for him and for the other teams that will be his suitors come free agency.
0: Yeah. With Baines, I'm just curious to see how he, looks physically too, just because he was pretty candid and open about how COVID kicked his butt essentially, and that he was out of commission for a few days and hadn't really been able to work out. I think when he talked to stadium that initially that he said he hadn't picked up a basketball in 30 days. So um, I, I certainly would not blame him if he was a little rusty in Orlando, because there's Perfectly good reasons for that, but even just how he's able to perform, but if if he's on the floor and is able to perform even adequately, I think that certainly gives the Suns front court a boost because of, I'm just thinking back to yesterday when we saw the the four guard lineup and it's like, you have no more front court players with Baines and Sharik out. So it would, it would be a little helpful if Baines was in there.
1: Yeah. And uh, I don't know if you caught the interview with Frank Kaminsky after the game. I'm like, Hey, how'd you like it? Frank and the four dwarfs. He's like, yeah, that was different. I don't (laughs) think he really enjoyed that, but Today you could lead the league in rebounding if you're out there with four guards, but you know, that brings up another point too. I mean, I'm a big fan of Frank Kaminsky. He has uh, exceeded my expectations sort of coming over to this team this year. And I think he's a really nice compliment, different look um, than Deandre. And so if Aaron Baines does not come back, which I, I hope he does because I really like his toughness. Um, I, I really like what Frank has provided. I think, I think he's been a, an above average interior defender, which was not a label given to him before, um, obviously can stretch the floor. We're seeing some inside moves from him. And he, everybody says he's just such a good locker room presence too. He keeps everybody loose. Uh, and you need a player like that. Channing Fry was a perfect example. I think he reminds me a lot of Channing Fry because everybody loved Channing. He was funny, uh, good sense of humor, added a lot on the court, a seven-footer to space the floor. And Channing, in his, during his career, late in his career, became a much better defender down on the low block.
0: Yeah, Frank is a guy too that I went back when he was able to play. I go to him a lot as far as just asking. Just he was really good at explaining stuff. If I said, "Hey, what did you see on this play, or what were you trying to do on this possession, or what was the game plan?" He's really good at just explaining that to people like me who aren't, you know, don't play basketball for a living. And so I think that also just speaks to his presence on the team as well, and and his intelligence, his basketball IQ, and. And and yeah, it's it's nice to see him out there just because of he he really hadn't played basketball in forever. He got hurt in late December, hadn't played since then and and was cleared literally the day that the NBA shut down. So even just to see him back out there, I'm sure is a good boost of energy for him and is also giving the Suns a little glimpse of, oh, yeah, this is what we had when this guy was on the floor.
1: Mm-hmm. And I like how you talk to him about your go-to guy. I mean, he was, after, I guess it was early fourth quarter. We usually have to put our request in to Cole Michelson who's there in the bubble, son's media relations representative who is phenomenal by the way, Cole Michelson for those who don't know provides you, Gina, myself media with all the notes and information. Yes. And now he's setting up interviews, man. He's just like, he is a gem, but they're like, Hey, who do you guys want to talk to after the game? I go Frank. Like Frank, at that time, he had like nine points and three rebounds or something. I go, no, I want to talk to Frank because he's going to give it to you straight. He's going to be really good on camera. I think he enjoys doing TV. You know, a lot of these guys could, you know, take it or leave it. I think Frank really kind of enjoys it. And from our perspective, doing, you know, writing articles or doing TV shows, you want guys that like to be in front of the camera, that like to speak about the game and and give you some substance uh, with the questions that you ask them.
0: Yeah, and it's not always the star player, too, right? And especially because those those guys get so many requests and they're required to do it so often. And you know, someone like Devin Booker is, is great on camera, great in front of a crowd. He's very polished, he knows the drill, he knows he's going to be asked for after for every game. But sometimes those players that aren't necessarily the most popular pick are, are ones that actually can give really good insight. So I'm not surprised that you that you asked for Frank in that regard
1: yeah yeah pj tucker was another guy i'm trying to think of other players that even if they weren't playing well you wanted to hear from them after the game tyson chandler i mean there were games he didn't play i'm like i don't care i'd like to hear what he saw from the bench yeah because yeah, tyson is another guy that was you know when you sat him down boy he was just a, a wealth of knowledge
0: yeah it, it's funny talking about all these front court players uh i mean when people ask me about the off season and priorities for free agency or the draft or just moving forward. That's always the first place that I mentioned besides backup point guard too, but the front court, just because the way all of the contracts line up, I mean, you mentioned Aaron Baines is an unrestricted free agent this year. Dario Saric is a restricted free agent and both Kaminsky and Cech Diallo have team options. And so this is like, this could look completely different surrounding Deandre Ayton next year, or it could look exactly the same, but Are those two positions, are those the the two questions that you have about this team even moving forward? Or is there something else that you're like, I wonder what the Suns are going to do in the offseason when they look to continue to kind of tinker with this roster?
1: Well, And that's the thing, Gina, is that stability is everything in organizations now, right? I mean, they talk about that even, you know, with the Boston Celtics. You know, they did bring in Kemba Walker, but they have much of their nucleus from last year. Toronto Raptors lose Kawhi Leonard, but again, they bring back Kyle Lowry and Van Bleet and Pascal Siakam and um, Serge Ibaka. Stability is so important for the success of organizations. And I get where the Suns are trying to go. I mean, you've got to go and the players talk about this too, from where they've been at the bottom now working their way up to the middle and then go from there, but stability and knowing the system, going through it your second year with Monty Williams. uh, So I'd like to see, many of these guys stick around. Like I said, I think Baines has been a a terrific addition to this team, but again, does they have to make those difficult monetary decisions and you've got the salary cap and you've got the ages of some of these players and trying to align that, um, you know, with the younger players. But to me, you know, it's similar to what the Phoenix Mercury have done. When you have Diana Taurasi on the team, you try to win at all costs right now. Right. I mean, it's kind of like with Steve Nash, Toward the end of his career, you give him every opportunity, and then I think the last couple of years, kind of the Suns gave up on that once Amari Stoudemire left. So, but I think right now the sense of urgency is Devin Booker. I mean, he's not going to put up with being under 500 for much longer, and he definitely sees the improvement. Um, he has the trust in Monty Williams and James Jones, but it comes down to walking back into the locker room either having won a game or lost a game. And when you're a competitor like Devin Booker, you're pissed off after a loss and you don't want those things to pile up. So I think consistency, adding, tweaking a couple of positions here and there, um, but taking it from the step that they're at now. And they've shown so much progress, especially in, I mean, yeah, it was just an exhibition game against Toronto, but we saw that, you know, in games against Milwaukee, I know, Giannis didn't play, but still they had, you know, most of their top players. And we've seen performances by the Suns over the season. You're like, wow, they, when they put it all together, they're pretty darn good. And, you know, we just don't talk about Ricky Rubio enough Too, I think he is taken for granted. I mean, there was a shot of him uh, over on the bench yesterday when this was the last uh, scrimmage game. I'm not sure when you're airing your podcast, but during the last scrimmage game that, you know, Ricky was, came up behind DeAndre Ayton, was talking in his ear and they focused the camera on him for about 10, 15 seconds. And you could see DeAndre absorbing everything Ricky had to say. And then, you know, Ricky has followed through on his promise to make Devin Booker more efficient. Devin Booker would not have been an all-star this year without the help of Ricky Rubio and the success of the team, which in large part is due to Ricky and his performance on the court, off the court, leading these guys, a quiet leader. He's not a browbeater, uh, but they move the ball. How many times have they had 28 to 32 assists in a game? I think they're still leading the NBA in assists. So Uh, Ricky deserves so much credit for that. And man, he's always been one of my favorite players. Even if he, you'd look at the box score, he had five, seven points or whatever. But when he was in Minnesota and I I just remember a game late in the season, they were out of it, but they were, uh, playing golden state. I just, he's just such the perfect orchestrator. You could just see how he has everybody in the right position and, and he's a very good defender too. So I just, uh, everything that Ricky has brought to this team, um, I think he should get a lot more credit for.
0: Yeah, both the perfect orchestrator and then when you talk about locker room presences too, he just has that as well. He's such a respected leader. He's a guy that is so calm, but you can tell that teammates listen to, that Monty feels comfortable running things through him, just all of that stuff. And and when Ricky was not in Orlando and then arrived later uh, in talking with teammates about him, the way I've described it a couple other times this week is that Guys both like light up and then also have a sigh of relief at the same time because they're like stoked that he's back, but also know that that's going to make their life easier and it like allows them to to just feel a a sense of calmness. So I think that just perfectly shows the the impact that clearly his teammates know that he has on the floor.
1: And I love the term that Monty uses too, because he even talks about that with trying to find that backup point guard, but to be a connector. And to me, Ricky Rubio is the ultimate connector, connector of personalities, too. We, during the, uh, the hiatus, we did an interview with him when he was in Spain and Mikel Bridges. And uh, when we had reached out to Ricky, he's like, you know, I'd really like to do it. But, you know, can I do it with Mikel Bridges? I'm like, well, that's kind of a, an odd couple. I didn't know those guys were buddies. But then you come to find out, you know, Ricky's buddies with everybody on the team. I mean, I just think in just his quiet way, I mean, his, his, his voice, too, it's not overpowering or anything but you could see in that relationship during the interview that we did with him and Mikkel, just how much respect they had for each other, how they got along and joked with each other. So, you know, Ricky just, he he has the right formula to be a leader on this team. Yeah,
0: absolutely. All right, switching gears a little bit. So even though we are all back to work, we've all been quarantining for the past four months, we're still advised to stay at home given the state of things in, in Arizona. Have you done anything cool during quarantine as far as, have you binged watched a show you've been meaning to? Have you gotten outside back before it was 100 million degrees out? Uh, just what have you, how'd you spend your time during the hiatus when we were all sort of separated and not doing basketball stuff?
1: Yeah, gosh, um, you know, real we stayed inside um, here at the house, especially the first couple months, and, uh, you know, as you know, my daughter's a COVID nurse, so um, my wife also works in communications for ASU, so she's, on the front lines of all the research. And so basically I've been living in a COVID home for, you know, ever since this began, I mean, it's nonstop conversation about that. So my release has been hop on the mountain bike at sunset. I'm a big mountain biker. I go out to uh, carefree and cave Creek. And, um, I just love, love, love the desert at sunset, even when it's, you know, 110 out. I mean, if you get out there when the sun is going down, it's not beating on you, you got a little mist, you know, the perspiration with the wind on you, and it just cools things down, and it, uh, it's, it's my getaway. Uh, that's where I can find my joy and try to get away from all the anxiety and um, you know, all the issues that we're dealing with, not just COVID, obviously, but the social justice issues, and um, it's just been so hurtful to me to be, you know, watching and be, you know, even in some respects, I guess, just a part of this community and the divisiveness in the community or in our country and in our world. And it, just, it's, it hurts my heart. And I think that's been the hardest thing to try to find an escape for that. Um, I mentioned I went to Telluride and even going to Telluride. You know, everybody's wearing masks and staying away from each other. And you just, you can't find an escape from real life and reality right now. And just, uh, its it's been hard and, you know, being a parent of a daughter that's, you know, working in the hospital and fearing for her. And then you've got your two sons that, you know, have their anxieties and their fears as well. So, I mean, I'm just living the same life everybody else is. Um, So to get away, we've got, luckily, we've got a really nice backyard. We moved into this house a while back and we turned our patio into like a little workout area. My wife works out at 4.30 in the morning. I usually do it at like 6.30 at night and uh, we're out there and jump in the pool. We've got three dogs uh, that keep us busy. We had one that I actually got from Tom Chambers, an Australian shepherd, and then we uh, rescued two reservation dogs that we got three of them. So that keeps my wife and I busy when we don't have kids in the house.
0: Yeah, no, I'm so glad you brought up Lauren because I wanted to ask you about her just because she has become like a public face of of the healthcare effort and and so many people who are fighting this virus and caring for our loved ones every single day. And I I guess just from your perspective, um, how just, What's that been like for you? I'm sh- like you said, you're number one, you're you're scared and and you fear for her health and safety, but on the other end, I'm sure you're so proud of of what she's been representing. Um, just what has the last few months from that perspective been like for you as a dad?
1: Yeah, I think uh, still really hard to process. Um, you know I'll literally be I, I stay up late anyways. I watch sports center and you know whatever games it might be on I usually get my fill of sports information then and sometimes, you know, it'll be one o'clock in the morning and I'll go back and I'll pop on CNN and her first interview with Chris Cuomo and just go, what happened here? How, how did this happen? And then, you know, I'll pop on the view or whatever. I literally go back because everything, I don't know about you, but it feels like a dream state right now. It just feels like, I mean, I've lost all sense of time. Mm-hmm. I mean, Chambers and I got out there the other day before the game against Toronto. We're like, who won the last, oh my God, Toronto won it. Right. <laughs> and then who did they play? Like it's, almost like we have amnesia. I don't know. I mean, this pandemic has made me crazy. And so anyways, I I need reminders of what she's gone through and what, you know, what has actually happened. Um, but yeah, I, you know, definitely worry about her, um, from not only, you know, physical standpoint, getting sick, but emotionally, I mean, she, she keeps a lot of stuff inside and I literally don't even know what's going on with her at work until I listen to one of her interviews. I'm Mm -hmm. like, honey, what this is, what's going on because she doesn't want to alarm myself or my wife, Sandy. Um, So, and obviously, you know, she's not going to talk about patients and different things, but you know, so the only time that we've actually ever been able to see her is um, when she would come over to use the pool, she has to come around the side of the house, go around to the other side of the pool and we could talk to her across from the pool. So yeah, the fact that, you know, my baby girl, I haven't been able to hug touch kiss embrace for months when I feel like she really, really needs it. And I know she really, really needs it. Not just for me, but for mom and her two brothers who love her to death. Um, it's been just the most bizarre experience, but at the same time, incredibly proud and just shocked too at how good she is on TV. I'm like, okay, mom and dad met in Tucson at the TV station there. I get it, I guess it might be in your genes, but I, my God, you're on CNN with Chris Cuomo acting like you've done this for 30 years. Yeah, Like, geez, she's so uh, polished.
0: No, it's, it's like the osmosis. She must have just absorbed it from watching you guys. But I was going to ask too, I mean, in, at least locally, I mean, you've been a public figure in the Phoenix market for, for so long. Like, have you, did she ask you about going on TV and like, how do I do this? Or was it all just natural from that perspective?
1: Yeah, no, it all happened so fast. It wasn't like, okay, Lauren, come on over. We're going to have a training session. Although right. I think mom did help out. She definitely has helped out way more than me because she's actually been Lawrence publicist. She's dealing with all the media requests and you have no idea from around the world. It's mind blowing. Australia, London, Canada, she's doing conventions uh, for nurses and empowering women conventions. I mean, it's crazy. So luckily my wife is like so good at that. That's kind of what her job is right now at ASU media relations. So, um, you know, she gave her a few ideas and, you know, no, sometimes some talking points or whatever, but I mean, Lauren, it's just it, it was nat. It's obvious that it's just kind of natural for her, and just the composure, and I think the conviction too. So the composure comes with conviction of what you're talking about and what she is going through and the message that she wants to deliver. Um, but no, I, I sit back on uh, no way. I would be stuttering and stammering on CNN for sure. I think one thing too that has maybe helped her a little bit is that you can do it from the comforts of your home. Um, and now you fly out to New York, they put you in studio with all the lights and, you know, start, you know, putting the makeup on or whatever. And then now all of a sudden the nerves hit. Um, so I think that has definitely helped in her adjustment, but still she knows darn well who she's talking to and where this is being broadcast. So for her to find that comfort zone has been really impressive.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I know I've shared this with you, but I'll share with the listeners too, that Uh, Well, first of all, Lauren's got big fans in in my family because I think my mom has seen every appearance because once I told her who she was, like she saw her on Cuomo the first time. And then I remember she called me. She's like, Tom Leander's daughter was on Cuomo again. And I think she's seen every appearance. And then my younger brother is about to graduate from PA school, physician assistant school in about two weeks. And so I'm about to become the sister of somebody in the, in the healthcare field. And we have no idea where he's going to get his first job. It could be in an ER as well, or it could be in an ICU. It could be somewhere else. And so I think, number one, I'm already starting to feel a little anxiety or just, you know, reality of what he could be facing here in the coming weeks and months. And then also just just reinforcing the importance of sharing these personal stories, whether we know someone who's gotten the virus and what their experience is like, or having someone we know in the healthcare field. Like, I think it's just so important to make these personal connections to what's going on, that it's not just these numbers that we see or these things that people tell us about what's happening to actually have those connections. So I think that's why it's so important what Lauren is doing because not just locally, but now globally, she's putting a face to what's happening in in the world.
1: Yeah, what's your brother's name?
0: My brother's name's Daniel.
1: Daniel. Well, God bless Daniel, because that's like looking at a fire and running right into the heat. So, I mean, it's one thing when you're already there as a doctor or a nurse, uh, but God bless Daniel, because man, if you're ready to run into that fire, which is what he obviously is ready to do to me, that is like even more courageous. I mean, you could take a career turn right now and go, yeah, not really sure. This is kind of what I'm cut out for. So, um, and and it's just a blessing too that Lauren, again, it was a, a camera shot of, a photograph of her at that protest um, with the three other nurses and all those nurses um, deserve every bit as much credit. I mean, if Michael Chow, the Arizona Republic had taken a picture of one of the other nurses, they would be the ones, you know, out in front and speaking on behalf of all the healthcare workers. So, you know, Lauren has continued to make that a point. And I definitely want to make that point really clear too, is that, you know, we're it's a lot of this attention has gone to Lauren, but man, this is about, everybody, the paramedics. I've got so many good friends that are firefighters and they're the first ones to arrive. Right. Um, and so, I mean, it's just uh, it, it's representative of the incredible courage of all of those people that have been there for us and continue to do that work and get up in the morning and, you know, go through there. What's supposed to be 12 hour shifts, but usually is 15 or 16 hours and then pick up extra shifts until the reserves arrived from other states, and you know we needed so much help there. So, um, like I said, I just I applaud the other nurses that, that were there with Lauren and all the people that not only she works with, but in all the hospitals too.
0: Yeah, it makes what we do seem incredibly insignificant, oh. it, it, and I mean that in yeah. the biggest complimentary way, you know.
1: Yeah, no, I it, it's funny because I mean I, I joke about that as far I'm talking about you know basketball players running up and down the court. And yet at the same time, I've, I don't know about you, how many people have reached out saying, oh my gosh, I needed this to see, you know, you and Chambers out there hearing K Ray and Eddie. I mean, it's, it's definitely something, a diversion that everybody needed, but at the end of the day, yeah, I realize, you know, my job is so insignificant compared to the people that are doing work. Again, my wife at ASU, the researchers and the scientists there and coming up with spit testing to try to speed up the process. I mean, those are the heroes.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, as insignificant as our jobs are, it's going to start for real on Friday with the Suns' first game against the Wizards. Just really quick before we go, um, what's your breakdown of, of that game? Give me your elevator pitch on what you're most looking forward to about Friday's game.
1: Well, thank goodness Bradley, Bradley Beale's not playing. <laughs> that guy has just absolutely destroyed us. I mean, I think he had that triple-double the overtime game. and Booker played really well, too. Um, so, you know, I the Suns have had their troubles this season with the lower level teams. I mean, it was that six game homestand and they lose to the warriors and lost to the Hawks. I mean, it was, so I don't think they're going to be, they only have eight games, so they better not be taking anybody lightly. That's for darn sure. But you know, Washington was the last team invited and now they don't have their best player. Um, You know, they do obviously still have some talent on that team. Uh, But you know, if the Suns come out the way they played against Toronto uh, with their aggressive nature. And again, when Ricky Rubio's hitting his shots, the Suns are really hard to beat, you know, and they can't rely on Ricky to score 20 points every night. But when he adds that element, um, and again, Booker's going to get up and going. And, um, you know, I'd like to see DeAndre again, go back to who he was there in in, uh, February and before the ankle injury. Um, But, you know, definitely this first game against Washington, this needs to be a win for the Suns. Get off on the right foot. I mean, they only have to make up two and a half games. Sure, they have to jump over four teams, but a lot of those teams – Have some injuries right now. I mean, Sacramento, and then, you know, San Antonio is without Aldridge. So it's, it's, it's not unrealistic to think that it's possible, but you have to win that first game because then you only have seven after that. You talk about urgency. (laughs) You have eight games. You can't blow this first one against a team that doesn't have their best player.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Well, I know I'm stoked to watch it. I'm sure you are stoked to broadcast it. Thank you so much, Tom, for joining me on the first edition of the Valley Tales podcast. It's been an honor to have you and can't wait to watch you on TV on Friday.
1: And I can't wait to go back and tell Chambers that she wanted this, Tom, and not the other one. Yeah.
0: You are free to gloat. gloat.
1: (laughs) Oh, first thing out of my mouth.
0: Awesome. All right, Tom, thanks so much for coming on.